0: Welcome to Procurement Reimagined, a podcast by Gatekeeper. We believe traditional procurement has had its day. The world is changing and our industry needs to change with it. On the podcast, we share the best practices to help you streamline your procurement processes, navigate vendor onboarding, and ultimately get the most value out of your vendor contracts. I'm your host, Daniel Barnes. So, Rachel, welcome to Procurement Reimagined. To kick this off, can you explain what you do as though I'm a uh, five year old?
1: Yeah. Oh, look, it's going to be hard to explain because I do a lot of different things. I've got many, many, many ads. Um, I started out as a lawyer and I started out as a construction lawyer, major projects lawyer. So, that was my career for 20 years um, in, in Australia. In addition to that, and Throughout the career, I've worked in private top tier law firms. I've worked as general counsel and senior legal counsel in some really big construction companies and government bodies. I've also worked for government. And in addition to that, I've also worked on procurement teams themselves, actually, as procurement specialists. And I've also done a commercial manager's role as well. So, what I do now is I take all those skill sets I've developed which is very unusual for many professionals. And I take those skill sets and I actually use them all combined. So I run my own combined law firm business consulting firm and that's called Blaze Business and Legal. And from that, I actually advise a lot of companies actually internationally on how to fix their legal functions, how to fix their procurement teams, how to make sure that procurement risk, contract management, legal finance, all work together. So that's kind of a mission of mine. And I use all of the skill sets generated from over the past many years and I use them to actually help me you know, undertake this kind of a change management slash rethinking approach.
0: Yeah, that is amazing, right? I, when I started out in my career in procurement and then I had my legal degrees that I brought with me, I was like, oh, I really want to master sort of the contract management, the procurement and the supply chain piece because if you can interlock yep. all of that, you have a skill set that no one else has. And fundamentally, that's what you've just kind of explained, but really with a massive legal focus. So I think it is probably something that people underestimate. Uh, kind of brings us on to what I want to talk to you about today, because uh, mainly we're, we're kind of focused on that that procurement legal bit. They don't always work very well together. Like, Do you have any thoughts around like why that happens?
1: There's a lot of reasons. A lot of it is the, the people or the personalities who go into legal versus go into procurement. All right. So you've got two different types of professionals. You've got yes. the type A who all want to be in control and want to make sure that, uh, you know, the clients, which is their own company, is protected from risk. They want to focus on the legal aspects. So they're all kind of driven down this particular path, but they don't really have any, and I'll say that actually, they don't really have much or any understanding of the other divisions and how they need to work. So legal's shooting off down here on their path, and they want to make procurement and all the other divisions toe the line and do things the way the legal wants because risk management sure. has got to protect people. On the other side, you've got the procurement team and, and a lot of them come from the engineering background or the sourcing background or the there's a few accounting backgrounds I've seen. Quite a different range actually, but not necessarily the same personality types as the lobbyists. And also they're not really taught how to deal with legal issues. i found that procurement teams often grow into the role. So you often have people starting mainly as a junior, working their way up through the companies, getting to learn the role from actual experience, whereas the lawyers learn in uni and then they go into a law firm and you learn that way. And I think those two paths are just so completely different. Most of the divisions I see don't even, like we're talking apples and oranges or, or aliens and predators, it's really very different. And one of the things I try and do is encourage them to communicate. But also I found that if you just put them in a room and bash their heads together and tell them to communicate, they really can't because they're just so far apart. My role is to come in and not even hold hands. It's really to show them how to do it because on their own, they just can't get there because there are just so different priorities and such different attitudes and beliefs and understandings about what's important. <laughs> <laughs> they they just can't seem to connect unless someone is there to actually say, this is what other companies do, this is what works really well, let's think about how we can put something like that in place here so you actually can work together.
0: Your point around sort of procurement companies They start very junior typically, almost every procurement pro starts very low down as a buyer or junior buyer, and they learn the job via experience. There's not sort of a structured way of learning. There's some organizations out. Yeah, I did four years of law at uni and it was super structured, learned everything. And then when I got into procurement, I was like, oh, this is chaos in terms of no one has a structured way of learning and everyone was just doing their own version. Of the thing, there wasn't a set way of doing it. And I know there's a bit of that in the legal space, right? Certain lawyers will draft in a certain style or whatever, but lastly, there's similarities there and procurement is a bit chaotic. The
1: problem is when you bring the lawyers into a business environment, the lawyers yeah. aren't taught about that in law school. So it's not just on the procurement side, it's very much there's a problem on both ends because. That's why I'm so different from so many lawyers because I've got that practical commercial on the ground focus. Whereas a lot of lawyers think theoretically and they don't think of the profit margin. They don't think about actually drafting the contract so that it drives you know, increases in the profit margins. I think a lot of it is the disconnect there.
0: It's a really good point. Yeah, yeah it really is uh, apples and oranges. Like you said, you've mentioned about bringing them together sort of trying to like facilitate and show them what's worked perhaps elsewhere. Could you maybe talk to some of those things you've seen that really helps bring them together, maybe in some of the sessions you've run or just sort of the conversations you've had?
1: My approach is very much a practical workshop sort of approach. So I actually get everyone in the room sitting down, you know, wearing jeans, whatever's comfy. I'll sit on a desk and I'll just start chatting about reality. And I find that if you can take the lawyers away from the theory up here and bring them back down. So this is how the company needs to run, and you can then get procurement up from a different spot, which is where, as you said, it's a kind of a free for all, no systems or processes. So you bring them up to saying things run smoother if you have processes and procedures. <laughs> yes, bring lawyers down to here and procurement people up to here. You've got that baseline to start talking about the the actual realities and real examples. One thing I've noticed is that procurement often don't get, and procurement for professionals, they often don't get a lot of training in things like how to actually do tenders, how to go out to the market and actually have a meeting with a tenderer and then actually assess, you know, any, any departures, how that then has a commercial impact, how you deal with your lawyer then to make sure you're not screwing things up how you're complying with your tender evaluation plan. Even the core thing I spend so much time teaching is how you go from tender to contract, how to deal with the documents even, because the procurement professionals are supposed to do that, but they don't quite know how to. So there's all these practical things and a lot of the time I end up doing a lot of intensive training and teaching procurement professionals and upskilling them to a certain point where we can then get the processes and procedures in place once they've got that common understanding. At the same time, we're talking to the legal professionals about what procurement needs to do to do their job. One of the big things for lawyers is the roadblock uh, issue. And that comes up, I'm sure, all the time in your podcasts is if a legal division is going to take full and complete control of all the contracts, they can't hold up procurement. So If there's not enough personnel in the legal division to take full and complete control of the contracts, what do we do to actually let both teams function in a way that is still effective while still meeting most of the needs of both of the divisions? So (laughs) there's a lot there, but I find on the ground talking to people and at some stage you need to get the senior management in as well because they need their heads kind of rejigged a little bit too in terms of how to view the dynamics between the two.
0: Yeah. yeah, Pretty complex. So I've kind of experienced this as well, right? In that I've sat in the contract management role in between procurement and legal for quite, maybe sort of a few years before I joined Gatekeeper, that's kind of all I was doing was just sat there in this really awkward position of doing a lot of the legal reviews and contract reviews and negotiations for procurement. Procurement was still sometimes not getting me involved early enough. I've got legal kind of saying why I we not getting involved early enough. And it was just this almost like a bad flywheel of late, late, late. And I was almost trying to reverse almost being late to the party kind of approach. I was just wondering if you've seen that because I see two teams that are often moaning to the rest of the business that, oh, procurement have been involved really late on this, like this tender, like you're already talking to X, Y, and Z supplier out there. And then you've got legal who are like, well, you've done all this tender. Now you've just passed these documents over to us. You could have just got us involved at the start and we could have helped you. And then you have the same challenges, but do it to one another.
1: I see that so much. I've actually, and this is a little pug for myself, I've set up my own business. It's called Blaze Professional Learning. And it teaches non-lawyers in particular, teaches lawyers too, but mainly non-lawyers and non-legal professionals, how to actually do some of the things you have to do in a business. So how to work with contracts, how to do contract management, how to do procurement. As part of that, I've set up a whole module or system which talks about the different stages of projects and the different stages of contracting. I call it the seven pillars of contracting Right? The first pillar of contracting I call contract planning. And that's what you're talking about, which is where you've got a project, you've got a group of different people in the organisation, all have to do different things for the project. I actually teach people and companies how to sequence that and how to make a workflow so they know when to get the lawyers involved, when to get the contract managers involved, you know, so that they know, oh, this particular lawyer needs to be involved when we start planning the project. They might want to be involved in the business case. they need to understand these things because when it comes time to deciding the project delivery method, they need to actually help advise on that. Don't come to them and say, oh, we're doing this and be surprised if they go, why? That's a huge risk. You can't do it that way. So that's what I teach, I guess, in these modules. And and I've put out a lot of documents and things, which I've, I've got on my website. But It's how to work together to progress through that workflow or that system and actually have the right people pop in at the right time. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
0: It's always kind of perplexed me somewhat of seeing this. I almost laugh about it in a horrendous way, right? Because I shouldn't, it's not funny, it's painful, but the two do it. You mentioned seven pillars there. Can I ask what the other six pillars are?
1: I've done a really cute, like, Colosseum sort of diagram.
0: Oh, I've seen this. I may have seen this on, I'm pretty sure you may have done something with contract nerds. I may be way out there and off on this.
1: No, I downloaded it and you can pop it up so they know what we're talking about when you put the interview on. Yeah. All right. So we've got contract, contract drafting, contract negotiation, contract execution isn't really a pillar, but it's a little, that's the point when it happens. And then we've got contract management, we've got contract disputes, and we've got contracting strategy, which in my mind is the whole thing that brings everything together. And it's what an organization does to make sure all these other things have I've kind of really conceptualized it because I don't think anyone really thinks about it proper I've decided I'll make up my own system.
0: I don't blame you. And to your point, like procurement and legal are involved in every single step there, just on the point of dispute. Typically it won't be the legal team that are aware of that. It'll be the procurement team working with people in the business that get alerted to, oh, maybe something's not been delivered, you know, five times in a row or it's been late. number of times and actually we've got a a clause that enables us to, to terminate for continuous breach or something like
1: they've got to know when to go to legal and when to say guys we need a hand um like one thing i do a lot is i draft letters of disputes or notification letters or even just concern letters you know we're not formally under the contract but we're saying we're delayed we need some extra money because we're late um it's costing us extra costs so you know, give us more money under the contract If you get the lawyers who know how to draft these things and if you get the right lawyers who can draft them without sending legal, it really, really helps because then it sets things up. If it does go further down into the dispute role, it allows then you guys to be on a really good spot right from the start. I see when I'm in a general counsel or a senior legal counsel position, I often see cases where commercial or procurement or contract management will come to legal to lapse So they'll come actually after the deadline has passed. So they've missed time bars under the contract. They come to legal and legal's left trying to work out what to do. And if you create, creative, you can still manage to get some negotiations going and try and sort it. But if legal is involved three or four steps back, that's I think where it really starts to make sense. So for myself, seven pillars of contracting, that's where I really try and Teach people, even in each particular pillar, when to get legal involved and vice versa. When do we get contract management involved? You know, for example, are they involved in negotiating the contract or do they just get given the signed contract to work with and then off you go? So it's very much a case of how everyone fits together. But I don't think many people talk about that and I don't think many people think about how it all works.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's, I've spent probably a stupid amount of time thinking and trying to apply this in the organizations that i've been in especially over the last few years and it almost felt like going in it was almost like revolutionary like people and obviously people that i work with they'd worked in other organizations sometimes huge organizations that do think about it like that so i agree i'm glad you're talking about thinking about it and helping people there maybe i'm just gonna throw two two concepts at you there so do you think that enabling procurement to self-serve through things like playbooks, contract standards, templates, things like that, trying to build it into an overall process. Is that a, a good way to sort of join the two? Or do you still need to have that initial, like you said, that the initial session where you kind of try and still bring these apples and oranges together and try and show them? Actually, you need to get on each other's level a little bit more, some legal maybe has to come down a bit, procurement has to come up a bit. I was just trying to, it'd be good to hear your thoughts there.
1: It's a great question and it's very much what I do. So a organisation will come to me and go, this is just broken, we just can't fix it. So so my job is kind of like a fixer to come in and just get it all sorted, right? I need to do the the second part you mentioned, which we talked about before. I need to get them up all to the same level. So I need legal to understand what procurement does. I need to teach procurement how to Do a lot of the operations that don't necessarily happen the way they should or that are causing risk for the company because the people doing them just don't know any different, right? And it happens a lot. So there's that training and upskilling and that working with them session and part of the process. Once they're at that certain level, that's where we can put in place the systems and the processes and the procedures then to allow them to work better together. I'm a massive fan of. Enabling procurement to do its own job. That's me perhaps stepping a little bit away from the traditional legal approach, but saying lawyers' job isn't to oversee everything procurement does. In fact, keeping legal out of the way while procurement does its complex role is probably the best approach. But so that the lawyers aren't having heart attacks every day and so that the company's not at risk. You need to give procurement the parameters and the understandings within which to operate. And that's where you get your playbooks and your processes and procedures, because every time I can say to procurement, we've drafted this template, go ahead and use it. We don't even want to talk to you about it unless you have a problem or unless there's certain predetermined parameters. And that's where you start talking about complexity, risk, dollar value of projects, et cetera, et cetera. I'm available. If you've got any questions, come and talk to me. But otherwise, you know how to do your job because I just spent all this time of about skilling, right? You know how to do your job. You now have a clear path to go and do it. And legal isn't going to spend their time looking over your shoulder. But here are the times when you do need to get legal involved. So, When you're starting to talk about project delivery method, let's talk to legal. When you're going out for an RFP and there's something unusual in the uh, documents that is not part of that template process. So it's it's really giving them the parameters and the guidance and the permission to go to legal for help but getting out of their way all the other times. That's kind of how I see it and in return, Legal then, I'm the one, when when I'm doing this with organisations, I tend to be the one that drafts the templates and contracts to give human a whole suite of things that they can work with, but also then to allow legal to know that procurement's kind of under control. So once you've got the, the minimum level up to the right spot, you put in your playbooks, you put in your policies and procedures, everyone's trained up nicely so they know what they're doing then legal can start to operate on an exceptions basis, which is the way I really strongly believe legal should operate. Because most organizations have an under-resourced legal team and the lawyers in that team are usually really, really busy and they don't have the time to be looking at $20,000 purchase orders, which should just yeah. be automatic. It's something which you really want to build in place, the processes and procedures so that that can just be done automatically But legal's involved when someone's talking about an indemnity that's going to put the company at risk. So my strong view is give everyone the right training, the right policies, the right procedures and processes to allow procurement to just do their job within the defined parameters and allow legal to get out of procurement's way. Unless they need
0: it, I'm an advocate of of this way. I've seen too often the scenarios that kind of we were talking about earlier on, where the legal aren't involved. They suddenly get involved. They're like, "Oh, this is awful. This is the worst thing. You can't do this." And I, when I was first starting off and learning procurement and learning like to do tenders and RFPs, the weirdest thing happened was that the lead on the RFP tender had gone and done everything, and then uh, they were like, "Oh, we need to go to this other site w- in Bristol because that's where legal is." And there's quite a far, it's like, oh, we need to run all of this now through legal. I was just like, what? Why would you run it through at the end? And they were like, oh, it's just how we do it. And I was like, oh man, this is terrifying uh, because you can imagine how that face-to-face went. It wasn't ideal.
1: Legal will miss things because the right sort of information isn't necessarily given to them at the time. And... I guess part of it too is part of this whole system I often use is to give legal the comfort that they don't yeah. have to focus on everything procurement does. So it really is very much collaboration and building that relationship up so that both legal and procurement do feel comfortable trusting each other. So without you know getting too airy, that's a lot of behind the scenes that I do.
0: That exceptions process that you build out actually forces collaboration as well. And then over time, that relationship just kind of ladders up, builds up. And then suddenly you actually you find you have two teams that actually work together kind of well.
1: And you know that this particular lawyer is skilled at construction projects. So you talk to them about your construction projects, but they also trust and know the people who are working with them. And they know that the procurement professionals understand when to come to the legal team. And that's the best relationship. And I've got a couple of those in, in a few roles I've done recently. And that's the best relationship because you know they're only going to talk to you or come to you if there's a problem that they know isn't in their either skill set or the parameters they've been given. And you know that the rest of the time you can just trust them to get on and do their job because they get exactly what needs to be done. So that's kind of the the gold standard where you want to be, to have your organisation humming. And I often go a step further with my clients and I actually help them link those changes to their profit margins and actually help them use the the changes we're implementing there to make things more efficient to drive better contract outcomes and to then actually that has a concrete effect on your bottom line. So it's pretty exciting when you think about the tweaks you make in how a division works with another division. And how that can actually then feed through and you know help you get a few extra percentages on your profit margin as you go along
0: yeah it's a really good point i mean procurement often talk about saving a lot trying to save money and then how that equates to way more than what a sales team on the other end can do and you combine legal and procurement there yeah, that's a really cool way of thinking about it quite a mature level right of operation
1: it's pretty high level and look it's basically if you want to go to that high level it's turning your cost centers both procurement and now, legal are uh, typically referred to as cost centres, put them together in the right way with the right people, right processes, right training, and all of a sudden, and, and I would also suggest you bring contract management in it as well, with that triangle and that triumvirate, all of a sudden you become a profit centre because you are having a direct positive impact on the bottom line. So, yeah, I, I find it quite exciting to work with my clients towards that outcome because the leadership team can really then see the benefits in a dollar sets rather than just in the airy, fairy, fuzzy sets.
0: Yeah. Though, Rachel, that's amazing. I'm super conscious of time, by the way. So I just wanted to ask you really two quick fire questions here. The first one is we always ask this what is one piece of tech that you absolutely love using at the moment? It could be hardware, software, it could be for work, personal, it, whatever.
1: I'm keeping a really close eye on all the AI uh, advances and what it's all to. Win. Chat GPT has changed how things work. It's also gone downhill, so it's not actually very functional anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> it just can't cope, I've noticed. But there are other programs and softwares out there, and I'm really keeping an eye on it, um, particularly in the area where you can review contracts and summarize contracts and work out risk allocations in the actual contracts themselves. We're not there yet. There's a few programs that do, but I've actually had conferences with the people and walked through the the systems, but I'm pretty pedantic and and I would say they're not quite there yet, but we're getting there. So three or four years, I think the whole system will change. So, yeah, for me, I'm I'm really excited about all the different AI, whether it's, you know, seeing what you can do just with podcasts or, you know, on on blogging or uh, WordPress, but say in the legal space and, and procurement space as well, what you can do to make your life easier.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a really good answer there. I'm with you on that. And <laughs> this last question is so weird. It still weirds me I've asked it like so many times. So I want you to imagine that I'm your personal procurement genie. And maybe we can say procurement slash contract slash legal here because it's all connected. What would one wish be? If I could grant anything, what would that wish be?
1: I'd like to be able to get the organisations to give training to those three divisions. Bringing risk in as well because that's really linked as well. I'm not having a crack at finance but there's, there's a few issues <laughs> I could talk to you about there. I, I want to see pretty much every company in the world bringing those divisions to a point where they have the training and the skills but also the understanding of how they could work versus what they're doing now. So it is a big ask and it's a big step-by-step process but I guess what I'm trying to do is kind of get the word out that there are better or other ways to work that actually drive benefits for the company rather than kind of status quo. Yeah. Sit as you want. Jeannie, your uh, your task is uh, to go forth. and
0: Imagine.
1: Jeannie size.
0: I think I would earn uh, <laughs> a lot of money if I could uh, do that very <laughs> quickly, right? Rachel, this has been a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. Procurement Reimagined is brought to you by Gatekeeper. To find out more about Gatekeeper and how our vendor and contract lifecycle management solution is delivering visibility, control, and compliance to our customers, visit www.gatekeeperhq.com. And then make sure to search for Procurement Reimagined in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Gatekeeper, thanks for listening.